Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Bunch of Nuts podcast. I'm Big Cass. With me, as always, good buddy, very frequent guest on this, Blake Biscardi. St. Lucia on his honeymoon. He's having a good time. Congratulations from February. St. Lucia, enjoy it. Enjoy the sun. Get back at the cat. Back at it next week. Blake, how are you, man? How's before early summer? You want to call it? I think a summer officially kicks off when Memorial Day happens. That's just me. How's your early summer going? It's going well, Cass. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. I've recorded a, another show with Dave last night. We kind of ran through a couple of topics, so it's good to keep the content going. The off season's going well so far. You know, I think having all this NIL, the transfer portal, it really bridges the gap between spring ball and summer camp. So it gives us that nice bridge of content to talk about. And yeah, I'm really excited. We're inside of 100 days of college football season now. Oh, it's it's so nice. It's so nice. And uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how the summer breaks out, especially with all the quarterback battles, especially in Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama. Um, definitely interesting. And um, so, but yeah, I mean, let's talk about it. Let's dive right into it. You had your great post-spring top 10 article that came out. Uh, talk about that. And some surprises on there. Uh, how you you know what made you go deep down into it? Yeah, so I'll give you the top five first because I think that's pretty standard of what we've seen so far. If you look at those teams, it's pretty clear. Maybe even to the top six, and then we'll get into seven through tens where I've got some surprises there. So number one, obviously, is Georgia back-to-back national champions. I think that speaks for themselves. You know, they're going to lose a couple of guys into the NFL, as we just saw. They had guys get drafted, but they still have got a lot of talent back there. Brock Bowers is going to be one of the best players in college football. He's certainly going to remain a featured piece of that offense, and then the defense is still going to be solid. That's Kirby Smart's unit, as you know, that's how he came up through the coaching ranks. So his defenses are always going to be solid and top tier. Maybe we'll see if he can sustain that historically great brand. And then number two, I've got Michigan. Jim Harbaugh's done a tremendous job over the last two years, really took advantage of the COVID year of eligibility for some of his players to form those veteran teams. He's done well in the transfer portal. They've won the Big Ten each of the last two seasons. They return just about everybody, but most notably J.J. McCarthy, Blake Corum, and Donovan Edwards, that core on offense. Ohio State number three, talent everywhere. You know, Joel Klatt, when he put out his post-spring top 10, he said if Ohio State, returned at starting quarterback, they would be number one because of the talent. I don't disagree with him. However, Michigan's beaten them the last two years. Michigan returns their quarterback and both running backs. That's why I have Michigan ahead of them right now. High State does need to earn it again, but the potential is there. And whether Kyle McCord or Devin Brown wins that starting job, I like what the Buckeyes are going to have on the field this year. Especially with 2018, this would be the first uh, time Ohio State's going to be the underdog in this in that rivalry game this year. If, as of right now, they are the underdog, unless Kyle McCord just comes out, makes it, just comes out and lights it up like the world fire, and Ohio State just starts blitzing everybody. But yeah, 
No, I absolutely agree. I mean, the potential is there. Ohio State and Michigan, you can look at them as 1A and 1B. It really depends on how you evaluate those teams and where you want to put them. But that's just how I see it as it stands right now post-spring. Then I've got Alabama sitting at four. You know, they're going to have a quarterback, quote-unquote, battle of their own. Tyler Buckner transferred in from Notre Dame. Tommy Reese came from Notre Dame as well. So we're going to see how he performs in that offense. They're going to be, again, solid running back. The offensive line and the defensive line, they've got to get a little bit better in the trenches. They're going to have playmakers on defense. But I again, I like the product that Tyler are going to put out. Penn State's the team that I have at number five. I really, really like what I have seen so far from the Nittany Lions through spring ball, especially on the defensive end. It's going to be one of the best units in the Big Ten. We'll see if it can be one of the best in the country. And then offensively, Drew Aller at quarterback. His expectations are sky high. They've been since high school. Sean Clifford's finally out of there. The Penn State faithful won a Drew Aller last year. They saw a couple flashes. He's been solid. But Nicholas Singleton and Catron Allen in the backfield are going to be the key to that Penn State offense. If they can find weapons on the perimeter to spread the ball out and stretch the field vertically, Penn State will contend for the Big Ten this year. If not, they'll be a strong 10-2 and two team. So that's where I stand at my top five right now. If we look at six, USC, Caleb Williams, reigning Heisman Trophy winner, again, going to be elite on offense. Their biggest key is can they fix the defense? I think that's about pretty standard is that top six. Your reaction there? Yeah, it, it's definitely pretty standard. Um, obviously, you know, we look at it, you know, the top four. Yeah, I mean, there's no question the top four. I don't even say the top five. USC, you could definitely argue that it's just their defense is so bad. It's so bad. It, you can't lose the two lane. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you can't. USC, right there, they're, they're obviously the best team. Something to say about them, or even Utah. Uh, but yeah, I think they're the clear, the clear. Them in Washington, and I'd like to that game is not one at 10 o'clock at night. The game is on like at 7.30 or 3.30, and I'd just like to see the amount of points that are going to be scored in that game. Yeah, seriously, it's going to be quite the show there. Um, then if we continue down the poll, 7 through 10, I'll give you 7 LSU, 8 Florida State, 9 Notre Dame, 10 Washington. I, I made a graphic uh, – right before the spring game or right after the spring game. And these were the 10 teams. The only 10 teams I can think of that had a shot to play shot championship. Obviously, I think six through 10. Maybe Texas. I think just maybe throw Texas in there over Washington. It's just, you know, Texas, Texas, Washington were the two. Yeah. Like, you know, obviously, but if you look at the t- these top 10 in Texas as well, so the teams that, okay, these are your playoff contending teams. And, and, and really, outside a team that would be like TCU last year, big drop in my opinion, it's 10, maybe 11 teams. Yeah, I agree with you. So now, if we call this the top 10, let's say that next pool of teams I would look at would be Clemson, Tennessee, and Texas. Yeah. How would you evaluate those three teams? Now, this age-old question, it seems, in the 21st century is, is Texas back? You know, we ask that question every year. They get Alabama early. 
a lot of people are high on the Longhorns this year because of the roster they have now. They lost Bijan Robinson. So I'm a little bit hesitant to say Texas is back before I see anything on the field. Roster talent-wise, it's there. That's the same with Tennessee. They have a lot of talent, but they lost so much production. So now you have to have Joe Milton, at quarterback. He didn't really start in any games last year, except for when Hendon Hooker, you know, tore his ACL. And then you look at a team like Clemson, Cade Klubnick's going to be in there. Him and DJU are in a battle throughout the year. I think Clemson's going to be stable. It's just how high can Klubnick take that offense and, you know, they're creating their own ceiling. There's not a ceiling for Clemson outside of what they create for them because they're still the class of the ACC. If you look at roster talent, it's just what can you get translated from that paper to the football field. And and lucky for them, they play two of your teams that are in the top 10. Right. So I think Clemson is one of those teams where are they back? I mean, I, know, I, can't, I can't believe we're saying that, but are they back? But – I just I really like Jordan Travis at Florida State. I think Florida State's going to win the ACC. Clemson's going to be right there. So it it, it and going with Texas. I mean, the Big Twelve's so weak. They may win the Big Twelve, but be ten and two. I mean, that's a huge. That's the thing. Um, I, can I see them going eleven? Yeah, sure. It, but if they lose out, I mean, it's just. I mean, it is what it is. But if you let's let's look at the Big Ten for for instance, good, good. I'm gonna you know just throw a couple sneaky teams. Um, out of the Big Ten, there's two teams that I I really want to keep an eye on, possibly make a run, and that's Wisconsin and Nebraska. Um, think with Matt Ruby in there and the talent that he's got, it's beautiful. And then, of course Luke Fickle. You know, as good of a coach as he is, you know, Wisconsin, those are some sneaky teams. Do I think they're going to go and make the playoff? No. But they're teams that, you know, have Michigan and Ohio State on their schedule. And, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what Wisconsin do with their two new head coaches. Oh, I absolutely agree. And you look at the fighting Luke Fickles up in Madison there, if – so Wisconsin's run this very traditional, archaic style of offense. It's ground and pound. That's how they want to win ball games. But if Luke Fickle can even implement a power spread or just stretch the field a little bit more, find a good quarterback to parlay with the elite running game they have every single year and the elite offensive line, Wisconsin will find a way to start winning those big games or at least make them a lot more competitive than they've been in the last you know, two to four years against Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, and Michigan State. I know they've won some of those games, but Wisconsin could really start making noise against those top dogs if they can figure that out because their defense is always very good. But it's hard for a defense, as we have seen with Iowa over the years. The defense is so good, but sooner or later, an offense is going to have to win games or at least score 21 points. Yep, exactly. And that just goes to my next thought. Uh, we talked about this uh, a week or so ago. Does the Big Ten initially, if you look at it, have the better pathway to possibly getting three teams in the in the, back, in the uh, college football playoff? And I can't believe I'm saying, you know, I, I would say that just because of the history of the SEC. Uh, but obviously, if you look at schedule for schedule, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, they all play each other, all on the road. 
Michigan's got to go to Happy Valley. We got to go. Ohio State's got to go to Michigan, and Penn State's got to go to Ohio State. Now, I think the only way that we could possibly see these, and it'd be how do you, and how could you not argue that these these three teams are deserving, is if the first you have first things have to happen. Georgia or Alabama have to go undefeated, completely undefeated. Yes. But one of those two teams has to have two losses. Like maybe if Alabama loses to Texas and loses to Georgia in the, in the title game, Georgia goes undefeated, that that eliminates it. Of course, LSU's there. You know, I, I still don't think LSU – I still think LSU somehow ends up with two losses. That's just me. Then you're going to think Big 12 champions probably going to be a two-loss team. Pac-12 champions probably going to be a two-loss team. Then you start looking at the ACC. Well, Florida State, Clemson, they play each other. You know, and the interesting thing, too, is you got to look at Notre Dame. They got to drop a game, too. I think the Big Ten, it's not going to happen. It's not. I'm just, it's hypothetically. I think the Big Ten, especially with, those three teams has a great shot of getting three teams and if if this happens Penn State beats Ohio State at Ohio State Ohio State beats Michigan at Michigan and Michigan beats Penn State at Penn State and necessarily they would have to be a touchdown or a less loss because how can you argue and we play they obviously would have the strength of schedule because they know the name and probably Wisconsin, playing Wisconsin, and how good I mean, they could be. But you could honestly say, well, these two teams beat each other on the road, and, you know, how, how do we defer this? Like, how, like and it's definitely an interesting thought. No, it definitely is, and I'll entertain it, too. And I won't repeat everything you just said, though. I would have phrased it pretty similarly. That is the best group of teams. And I actually put out a video about this on social media between the Big Ten's top trio and the SEC's top trio. Now, in the SEC's top trio, you got Alabama and Georgia, and then insert team here between LSU or Tennessee, depending on which camp you're in, right? For all intents and purposes, we say LSU, right? So preseason, you're going to have three Big Ten teams in the top five, most likely, maybe top six, depending where USC falls. But I think that is the best way because the talent on all three of those rosters is far superior than LSU or Tennessee. Now, they have the nature of playing in the Deep South in SEC country, and they do have that SEC label in the front of their jerseys. And it's not attractive to take three Big Ten teams because SEC football, by nature, is supposed to be better. But the level of football that could be played if each of those three Big Ten teams reaches their ceiling or is at least looking at the peak of the mountain of what they could be, that it's very, very possible that those three teams have at least an argument going into the year because, like you mentioned, the Big 12 champion is most likely going to have two losses. I don't really – I would be pretty confident in saying that right now. Only because Texas plays Alabama, I don't think the Longhorns win that game. It was their game to win at home last year. They didn't do it. I don't think they walk into Tuscaloosa and upset the Tide. So they're going to drop a conference game. They're going to drop to Alabama. They probably win the Big 12. The the Pac-12 is going to be super deep. Same thing. USC, if they can't get their defense in order, then they're going to have to figure out a way to outscore everybody. And the quarterback playing the Pac-12 is going to be so good. 
I think they have two losses as well if they win it. Same with Washington. And then the ACC, Clemson, they've got to go through that tough schedule and beat Notre Dame. Can they do it? We'll see. Notre Dame gets Ohio State and Clemson and USC. All right, no way they beat all three. Right. Let's let's look at this. All right, I'm going to pull up the SEC schools. You pull up the Big Ten schools. And we're going to go top to bottom. And honestly, just by based on projections, who could have the best conference as a whole? I think it's the Big Ten. That's just me. Comparing the teams, like if you look at the standings from last year. Yeah. Based on the 2022 SEC standings, all right, Georgia versus Michigan would obviously right now give the edge to Georgia, right? Yes, you'd have to. We saw that game, too, two years ago, and Georgia beat Michigan, and the rosters were pretty similar. Ohio State, I'm just based off last year's standings, Ohio State was – I'm, I'm throwing the divisions out of the way. Yeah, yeah. Ohio State, LSU. It's the Buckeyes. Give me the Buckeyes. Penn State, Alabama. I have to tell you this. I like the edge to Penn State. I, I the, This is the most interesting one because I like the running backs at Penn State. I like the quarterback. The defense that they come back, coming back, they're a little bit better than Alabama. That's just my. Now, see, I don't disagree with you when you look at that. Although this is the brain buster, James Franklin, the man in a yeah. big game. I'll tell you, that is the brain buster because I do okay. matchup wise, I do like that. I just, I really struggle with this okay. whole James Franklin thing. But I, I agree with you, and I see your point, and. I'm I'm co-signing that with you, but the James Franklin is the brain buster. I will say that. Yeah. All right, Tennessee. I would say they probably what the fourth best team last Definitely. year. Last oh, yeah. year. Who's the fourth best team in the Big Ten last year? You're gonna have to say Purdue because they made the Big Ten championship game. Tennessee. That's Tennessee and by thirty. Yeah. South Carolina. Oh no! Wait. Mississippi State, I'm sorry. Mississippi State would be the fifth best team. And then Illinois would be the next team I would say for even the Big Ten. Despite playing in the blue game against each other, I know Mississippi won, but you know they won with heavy hearts. Yeah. I'm taking Illinois. If they're playing with the current rosters here, yeah, Illinois Illinois will be pretty solid in that game. I would I would like the Illini. All right. South Carolina. Maryland or Iowa. I'd go Maryland. Give me Iowa. Iowa. Go Maryland. Let's go Iowa. I think Iowa wins. I think the defense is what makes Iowa win. That game is ugly as a rainy and, day in Seattle. And I think Cade McAmary can get it done. Yeah. Eric all, right, all that, two transferred in that nice yeah. tandem. So that's what we had. Michigan, Ohio State. It's what? Michigan, Ohio State. We'll go Alabama, Tennessee, and then I- Illinois, Iowa. So big right now. Just we don't have to go any farther because we know 
Yeah. Like, I mean, Ole Miss will probably be um, Ole Miss and Maryland. We'll just end it at that. Ole That's Miss a and shootout, Maryland. man. I I like Maryland. I tell you, tug Yeah, that that would be a fun game to see. Honestly, I I would like to see uh, Tulia play in that game with all those wide receivers. They could spread the field and give Ole Miss a little bit of fits. So right now, in my opinion, Ohio's oh, Ohio, the Big Ten has more talent. Not not talent, but I would say to say Ohio, the Big Ten on paper is better than the SEC on paper. Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. They just have to go out and prove it. That's been the biggest thing yeah. throughout the Big Ten's really history is it's the Big Two and the Little League. Someone else outside of Ohio State or Michigan has to go win a big game. And it rotates between, is it going to be Penn State this year, Iowa, Wisconsin. So, And this year, it's there for the taking for the Big Ten to start capitalizing on those moments. And then when the playoff expands to 12 and maybe they get a third or a fourth team in, you got to win a game. And I yep. think it could start this year. Yeah, absolutely. And then you got the emergence of Nebraska and Wisconsin, who I think are better than stakes of Kentucky and Florida. Yes, I agree. Now, we're on this Big Ten SEC kick right now. Let's talk about the SEC voted. They're going to continue to do 18, eight conference games. And, oh, you win, you know, it's working. They're winning national championships. I go away from what's working. Because you never know. You can have that ninth conference game. You know, it could hurt you. I think the Big Ten should go back to eight, con- eight non-conference. That's just me. I think all-team playoffs start. I think every single conference should have the same percentage-wise of conference games. So I'll look at this from one of two ways because I don't disagree with what you're saying. I just think there are two sides to this coin and both sides are shiny okay if that makes sense so i'll give you argument one that you're making make them play eight conference games because what's the point of that ninth game so for instance if ohio state doesn't play michigan last year now i'm not saying it because they would all obviously play michigan but like if you took another conference game out and gave them a tune-up game right before do they go into michigan a little bit healthier and win the game you there's all those hypothetical arguments that you can yeah. make when you sit yeah. there like that. But oh, the definitely. SEC is doing this. They get that cupcake week. Alabama gets the bye week before LSU. It works. And why bang yourself up and stay healthy for the games that matter at the end of the year? So Alabama went to Texas last year for the first time, the second time in Nick Saban's tenure since 2007. That was the second time they left the state of Alabama in a true road non-conference game. Like, September. digest that. Exactly. September. Digest that. That's so, one with, what, 2010 versus Penn State? Penn State. Yeah. yeah. So you can look at it that way. Now, on the other side, with this 12-team playoff, your margin for error widens a little bit. Yeah. Now, if you have the nine-game conference schedule like the Big Ten has, plus even another Power 5 opponent, so let's say Notre Dame's on Ohio State schedule next year with the 12-team playoff. Okay, they go and they beat Notre Dame, but then they lose to, let's say, Penn State and Wisconsin. But they beat Michigan, they beat Iowa, and they beat Notre Dame. I'm going to respect Ohio State for, one, playing Notre Dame with nine conference games and then still losing to those two teams. I'm going to respect Ohio State enough, and they can still get in the playoff with those two losses versus this four-team format right now. You can't get in with the two losses. 
just like that. I know you have the merit of the Notre Dame win, yeah. but you can't get in the playoff because your margin of error is so small, which is why I think the SEC did it right. And this narrative came around in the first two, three years of the playoff where you got to play a power five team in the non-conference schedule and you got to play as many good teams as you can to get into the playoff. Well, when Ohio State won the national championship the first time, they played Virginia Tech and they lost. But then they played Kent State and they won 66 nothing. So yeah. when you look at it that way, you, you just see like you see how this works. If they don't play Virginia Tech that marquee game and they played Marshall, then they run the table that year. And all this drama that was is taken away. Or you look at a team like the great Clemson teams in that way or the great Alabama teams that came through or Georgia the last two seasons. Just look at how their schedule set up in comparison to what the Big Ten is doing. And the Big Ten teams, they just seem to find a loss somewhere that's random. Or maybe they play back-to-back-to-back weeks of these games like Wisconsin, Michigan State, Penn State. It's hard to go at it in the way that the Big Ten does because of the smash-mouth nature of football, how physical it is. And that's that's where the loss to... Purdue came from you know both those mm-hmm. games came off some juggernaut. Yeah, and the emotions were so both, high. Both of them against. Let's look at Ohio State's schedule, for instance. Here, just going to use this example. I I think I think maybe if they don't do the eight game setup, what if I know we play Indiana week one, but how? But like, how would you feel? Say, for instance, okay, switch the schedule up here. Let's say, let's do it like Alabama's time. Let's say we play Western Kentucky Week One, Youngstown State Week One. We move Indiana down. What if we like kind of shift the schedule away and see where we play Minnesota before we play Michigan? We put Kentucky there. We put Minnesota where Kentucky is. No, I, I see your point. I, I've been saying this for years is the logistics of the SEC scheduling is what makes them amplified as the best conference in college football because of how they do it. You never see Alabama have a game before LSU and then they don't play LSU and then go to Tennessee or and then go to Florida or and then go to Kentucky at night. You know, they play that game and then they're like, all right, we're going to get Vanderbilt and, next week. And you could do this. Like, we play Purdue, Penn State, Wisconsin, right? Right. Move Wisconsin, put Indiana there, or swap Rutgers in Wisconsin. Exactly. Like, the logistics of the scheduling, that's what I'm saying, is the SEC just does it right in that way is – it's not this element of, I'm air quoting here, protection. But you want to put your best foot forward when it comes to the playoff because that's where you get that recognition. You're going to get good football every single week. But wouldn't you want your best product on the field with all of your best team, with all of your teams in the conference, but particularly your best teams? And it's tough to do that when you're going back to back to back to back weeks against those top opponents when you don't have to. Right. Now, that's part of the game. It's part of the competition. But if you don't have to do it, and the SEC finds a way, so it is possible. So you can't want to hear, oh, well, this team can't go this way or this travel schedule is 
the SEC does it. So it is possible. So that's definitely something that the Big Ten has to look at in this new era because if the SEC is sitting in only eight conference games, what if they don't play a Power 5 opponent? Well, Ohio State has Texas and Washington on their non-conference schedule coming up. So you're telling me 11 Power 5 games in one season and no FCS team as the 12th opponent. So 11 Power 5 versus 8. You're telling me, where's the equity in that? So you would have to tell me if Ohio State loses one or two or Michigan, whoever this team is, they have to be ranked higher than someone who just played eight Power 5 games. This is the perfect example of schedule that I think Ohio, and I think this is why Ohio State's team was so healthy in 2006. Listen to this schedule. Yes. Northern Illinois, Texas, Cincinnati, Penn State, at Iowa. Guess what? The very next week you're playing Bowling Green at home. Mm-hmm. At Michigan State, Indiana, Minnesota, at Illinois, at Northwestern. Northwestern stunk that year, and then you played Michigan. Yeah, like sometimes you have the stars line, and other times you just make the logistics work and, for you. And you get this year where you have Purdue, you have Purdue Wisconsin, and State back. Yep, and you know there's going to be black jerseys worn at night by Purdue because somehow, some way, that game is going to end up in a weird flex TV spot, and just the horrors of West Lafayette. I don't know. I like this new TV schedule. I like. I like the. Uh... The first game being on CBS, I I am so hyped for CBS. I like CBS too. And when we first hear that CBS song, Week One against Indiana. So yeah, I think that that Purdue game is going to be weird, a weirdly timed game. It's either going to be, I think it, it depends how good Purdue is. Could Fox just jump on it? Yeah, I would love Fox to make that the noon game, please. Well, it just depends because I don't know who plays that week in the rest of the in the rest of the Big Ten or Pac twelve or whatever. But definitely coming to Columbus for the Penn State game. I will argue to this day. I know Buckeye fans want it to be that night game, but guess what? That is big noon kickoff written all over it because it's going to be the biggest game in the shoe all season. Oh, yeah, I, I agree with you. And one thing I'll say, too, before we move on is I will miss having Fowler and Herbie calling the games this year, too. I, I do like when they call it. It is – I don't want to say the word tradition, but it's right when they're calling a game of your team. It feels better. It, the game it, feels bigger. Not to diminish Gus and Joel because I love those guys, too. And Brad Nasser is also tremendous. But having Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit in the booth, there's just something about it. It's gonna feel weird. Have it's gonna feel weird. Somebody next to Todd Blackledge and not be Sean McDonough either. That too. So, uh, real quick, we got about five minutes before this kicks off. Uh, we'll talk a little NIL stuff. Obviously, NCAA college football 24 coming out. Some of these players, led by an offensive lineman from Clemson, received five hundred dollars. Players like this for because it's seventy dollars and the only ones complaining like and that's the whole reason why is because some backup punter punter from Northwestern we haven't had a game we deserve a game 
Yeah, this is again where there's two sides to the coin here. So on one sense, I saw Cardell Jones put out the tweet today saying only $500 players should be entitled to this, which to his point can be fair. Yes, you can find a way to make royalties come to the players. There, There's a space where that exists, and that's probably the correct pathway. However, you don't need to cry wolf about being in a video game. If you don't want to be in it, just don't be in it. If you don't like the 500, don't be in it. And then, But it's, there's no reason to cause a holdout for the video game because number one it's a great seller and at the end of the day this is a business how i get these players names are now a part of the business there there has to be a space where that can work because you don't want to have this flop again yeah and there's always going to be somebody on youtube updating the roster so exactly all right in the game no matter what speaking of was interesting you know you go to base major league baseball games and they always have this 50 50 split the pot what if college let's throw Ohio State out for example because this is an Ohio State show if schools like Ohio State implemented a 50-50 split the pot program where obviously 50% of the proceeds go to NIL NIL obviously it would differ between sport and sport I think it would work obviously I would have to the logistics behind it first so there's a lot of economics that go into that i don't disagree that it would work i just think you would have to dissolve the collectives for that to happen and all the money comes through the school where then these players are now the quote-unquote employees of the school you know where they're under a contract or some sense where this revenue sharing happens because of how much money these schools are now going to make with the new tv deals and the big 10 and the sec in particular and this will be the separator when we move into this, when the new deals take effect for both conferences, the Big Ten starting this year. You look at a team like the ACC schools, like a Clemson or a Florida State, they're making the same amount of money as a Boston College, and the market value of each of those teams is way different. So if Ohio State brings in $100 million, a nice round number, you look at how they would save $50 million for the university, and then this $50 million can get dispersed between some players, athletics, fees, tuition, trainers, all the other logistics that go into it. Now, obviously, you're not going to spend $50 million on a team, but when you factor in the tuition and all that kind of stuff, that number is not as big as you think because it costs X amount of dollars for a player to attend the university that is now an athletic scholarship. So it, it takes the place of that plus the travel fees, plus the trainers, the tutors. All those factors come into it. So you're like, oh, $50 million, there's a, there's 85 scholarships. That's so much money. Eh, it's a lot of money, but it's not as much money as you think. So the economics of that are very interesting. And I think eventually it will move to something like that, the way you proposed it. Yeah, and I think, too, where the Reds do it, they, the way the Cincinnati Reds do it, I know baseball is different, is they do a different split for each, for each series. So meaning... You go to a week, four like this week they're playing they're playing the Dodgers right now three game series with the Dodgers. By the end of if you put your you know fifty fifty split the pot by the end of the series that's when they draw and you get your money. Um, because think about it, you, know, you do you do every game that's that's a lot. I mean especially season ticket holders, but we ain't gonna do this every game. It, it, you could see it. It it would I think it would work some. Obviously, like you said, not only should you look at the logistics and all that fun stuff, 
and it's too big right now in my head already. Like always, upon talking to you, you know, message, you know, voice comments and ideas. It's a Getting close. We're getting close, man. Yes, we are. Inside 100 Days, it was a pleasure being on, as always. Love coming on the show and, and talking with you and Cass, or you and Dana, excuse me. And uh, yeah, it's it's great being on the Bunch of Nuts podcast with you guys. You guys do tremendous work here and a big fan of the show and uh, loved our conversation tonight. Yep. And go Bucks, everybody. Have a great weekend and enjoy it.